You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana. And I am Matt Harrisonovich. And today we're covering part one, chapter 19 of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate. We're coming off of a letter from Victor Strum's mother to continue on thinking about science, or at least Victor's thinking about science, although in markedly less positive tones this time. Uh, last time we were, hey, isn't it great to be a scientist? And now this time we were, isn't physics just like fascism? Man, yeah. it feels bad to be a scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is there anywhere in particular that you want to start with this part? Not, not in particular, just that I, I kind of forgot about this chapter yesterday when I was drawing that comparison and I was like, wow, what a great, what a great point that I was able to synthesize, not realizing that Grossman does it the chapter after, <laughs> <laughs> but still a good point. Right. Well, it's because you're inside his head. Even if you don't remember the particulars, you already know what his moves are. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I'm, I'm well-versed in Grossman's ways <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. I like the quote that uh, you chose for the day. That was kind of a. It was kind of one I thought that was kind of tying together our our whole conversation from yesterday. Yeah, basically, if you want our conversation from yesterday in two sentences, there it is. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it sounded better than our conversation yesterday. Really, it was very pithy <laughs> and, and good. Yeah, uh, Grossman has a way of doing that. Yes. So, what what struck you from the chapter? I feel like I always talk. That's fair. I, I think I kind of covered this in our posted already, so I don't want to go over it too much. But I do think this is a pretty important point. Um, I mean, first of all, again, tracking the emergence of Jewish identity. But beyond that, also, um, Victor makes reference to a conversation with, with Chapetian, which he had in Stalingrad. I think this is a pretty important one because so my interpretation of that conversation is basically a gr- a Grossman in that novel or Victor um, reaffirming the Soviet project because Chapetian is like, well, you know, I can't believe the German people have fallen for fascism, but once they realize they've been tricked, they'll return to the, the people of Goethe, you know, not the people of Hitler. And uh, Victor basically says, hey, no, um, he, and he kind of chastises his, his former mentor and says, if we accept that fascism can't change people, you know, the corollary there is that ideology doesn't have the power, doesn't have the power to change people. And if ideology doesn't have the power to change people, then the Soviet project based on, you know, so maybe Soviet socialist is the wrong word, but at the very least, so Soviet ideology, whatever that means for this project can also not change people. And we are trying to create Homo Sovieticus, uh, the new Soviet man. So we have to accept that you can in fact be made a worse person by this. And, you know, it's a reaffirmation of the Soviet project here, although, of course, not said directly in my interpretation, of that conversation by ceding ground to Chapetian's point, he is essentially saying um, maybe humanity isn't just dough to be molded by ideology. Maybe there is something more essential. And I think you see that in the ways that we talked yesterday about Grossman returning humanity to the uh, people, um, uh, people in, in you know Nazi ghettos and, and camps and, and that's done not only through returning them their their positive individual qualities but also their negative individual qualities and so you kind of we kind of almost have this like relationship of Dostoevsky's uh, notes from underground to uh, Chernyshevsky's um, uh, what is to be done where you know Chernyshevsky's like hey what if people are the product of their environment and then Dostoevsky's like well what if I'm just a piece of shit that's not a product of my environment and you kind of have like moving I did it all on my own <laughs> right and um, so you could read this concession as Grossman being like, maybe 
you know, humanity should always be kept as its, as its traits and not reduced to probabilities, not to the probability of, oh, if I do this to the environment, then we'll have this outcome, probably, as he directly attributes to fascism. But if you kind of follow that line of his conversation with Trapezian, you could also similarly, similarly apply that criticism of probabilities to uh, the Soviet system. Or yeah, any system am... which relies on like large scale, like imposed change, We're like monarchy, Soviet, fascism, liberal democracy, whatever. Uh, but these are the two relevant, most relevant ones. I see. I kind of am torn on this depiction of of physics in general, and ha having no knowledge of physics whatsoever, not even a a, a buffoon's level of knowledge. I'll, I'll venture. I'll venture forth. They can't stop me. Um, but now I do hate to be a STEM defender here, but I will tread lightly on my STEM defense. <laughs> my defense um, is that physics isn't really like fascism, and that's. <laughs> 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 well i guess i just think it kind of depends on how you view science overall and, and i think that what he's critiquing is more of the the sort of cult of science which still definitely completely exists today uh and there's something to be learned from this just this blind worship of of science that it is inherently moving us in this progressive correct direction um that we're being moved forward at all times by discovery that it is inherently good it has some like moral value to it uh which i don't know that i agree completely with that all the time this is you know grossman presents a really compelling counter argument for that in here um but then again there is a sort of um i don't know right there's this this other side that's just kind of almost uh learning for learning's sake or, or science for science sake and you know it kind of is um almost its own refutation of this because if you really look at how you know far down we've we've studied and we still don't have it figured out right we've probably uh uncovered more questions uh by researching than we have solved and sure there may be some scientific laws but by and large my understanding is there's quite a lot that we still don't know and there's probably not going to be a point where we ever know everything uh, and so in, in that way, it's sort of, I don't know, it, it links that, that human individual freedom with the sort of exploration of sciences. So I, I think, in, in conclusion, I think it's okay to still have colleges of arts and sciences. They can be, uh, we can be put together. It's okay. Um, you just have to pay us both the same. I defend you now, you defend my salary later. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, well, knowing some research scientists, whenever you ask them a question about anything in particular, uh, their answer will always be, well, it depends on these five factors. So, and I think that's a great, depending on how you look at it, a great humanist statement that you can't make those uh, all-encompassing judgments for yeah, modern science because it depends on five five or six or maybe even many more factors in any case. Yeah, there's people that, that you know, think that you can kind of understand everything and move everything according to certain laws are they're just as bad whether they're working in the sciences or whether they're working in politics or, or wherever right it's just not a not a human-centered approach to anything we, so we solved it we've done it that's life and fate <laughs> we'll catch you next year <laughs>